Sam Monson of Pro Football Focus joins the show to discuss Bobby Slowick and his thoughts on the Houston Texans draft class. And to tie it all in, we want to develop a great team here that we can deliver wins to the city of Houston. We want to deliver a championship here to the city of Houston, and that's what, it, that's what it'll be about. You are Locked On Texans, your daily Houston Texans podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to a Thursday episode of the Locked On Texan Podcast, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Shout out to our everydayers from the Himalayas who check us out every Monday through Friday. If you are new to the Locked On Texan Podcast, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, and Spotify. Also, check us out on YouTube. Subscribe on YouTube. Like and comment as well under Locked On Texan Podcast. I'm John from Sports Guy Hickman, of course, joined by none other than Sports Illustrated's own and Houston Texan credential media member Cody Davis here to discuss your Houston Texans. We are joined by PFF analyst Sam Munson later in the show. That will be interesting. You know, he believes hmm. that the Houston Texans may have made a mistake trading up for Will Anderson at the third overall pick, but more so we are diving into his knowledge of Bobby Sloick because he has worked with Bobby Sloick. If you guys remember, Bobby Sloick spent some time with PFF uh, before coming to the 49ers and now as the Houston Texans offensive coordinator. When we look at the landscape of the team right now, guys, I think the running back room is impressive. Mm -hmm. I think the DB room is impressive. I think the tight end room has an, has an upgrade with Dalton Schultz. The offensive line, upgrade and impressive, and that's a room that we really have more trust in as of right now, adding uh, Shaq Mason. Even going back to yesterday's episode, talking about the quarterback room, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know if if I would say that it is a, a, a link that we really like, but it's interesting to say the least. Like looking at whether or not CJ Stroud is going to thrive in year one, looking at whether or not Davis Mills could possibly, you know, beat out CJ, but more so become a trustworthy quarterback. There was times last year that he just wasn't trustworthy out on the field. You know, he was yanked for Kyle Allen, went to the two quarterback system with Jeff Driscoll. And so now I do believe that if Bobby Slowick's system is going to work for C.J. Stroud, it's going to also work for Davis Mills. He has an opportunity to at least prove himself for that to be able to work, and he'll get comfortable and become a more uh, trustworthy asset for the quarterback position, Cody. But when I look at the wide receiver room, you got three guys with no NFL playing experience, Tank Dale, John Mechie, and Xavier Hutchinson. You got a guy, Amari Rogers, who I think could be on the bubble. You mm -hmm. also have – Nico Collins, who we are expecting with better quarterback play. We are expecting Nico Collins to have a, a better year in his third year in the NFL, third coach, by the way, third OC, by the way. But overall, that is the weakest link amongst both sides of the ball. When we look at the addition of Robert Woods early in the offseason, Cody, what are your thoughts about Robert Woods being a Houston Texan who signed a two-year deal? As of right now, I think he might be 
the most intriguing wide receiver because John, as you just alluded to, there's a lot of young guys who haven't played football in the NFL at all. You just mentioned those three guys and then you take a look at what we are expecting from Nico Collins, but along with the lack of quarterback play, as we say here almost every single week now, he has to stay healthy. Then he's finally going to get the experience. So Robert Woods, he's the most intriguing because whenever C.J. Stroud get out there on the field. And let's say for the sake of his argument, he is starting week one of the 2023 season. Majority of the time, rookie quarterbacks tend to favor the veteran wide receiver, the most established wide receiver. And that's what Robert Woods is for the Houston Texans as of right now. However, as the season goes on, if Nico Collins be the wide receiver we expect him to be, of course he's not going to be the number one wide receiver. And if some of these younger guys step up, i.e. Xavier Hutchison, like I mentioned a couple weeks ago, we had a similar conversation. I say Xavier might have the potential to be this team's number two wide receiver. I think the responsibility that Robert Woods could possibly have at the start of the season is going to dwindle down. However, I believe that his most important attribute is going to be a veteran, not just within that position group, but just overall for the young Houston Texans. And this is something that coach D'Amico Ryan's actually talked about on yesterday. And for Robert, I think he just helps guys when it's, when you're a player and you have those questions that a coach may not be able to get to you right now, get that answer to you as quick as possible. Robert is that guy players can go laying on, ask Robert. Robert has played in this offensive system before. He knows it. Right? He knows it just as good as some of our coaches know it. So Robert is a, is a guy that young players should try to lean on. Young players should try to pick his brain and just learn as much as they can from guys. And that's what veteran leadership is about in the NFL. All right? If, the real veterans in this league, they pass on knowledge. They pass on, you know, information to the younger guys. And those younger guys continue that as they continue to grow throughout the league. And that's why we're here. We stand on the on the backs of the guys who came before us in this league and allowed us to be in this position. Robert Woods brings over the experience that this team, uh, you know, and identity that this team is trying to create under Bobby Slowick, right? And so, again, when we look at, what I mentioned yesterday, how the 49ers since 2017 has the highest pre-snap usage in the NFL. Mm-hmm. That's that's when we talked about what Bobby Slowick could bring for this team. Since 2017, in that same time span, Sean McVay and the LA Rams rank eighth in the NFL in pre-snap motion, motion usage. So when I look at the addition of Robert Woods, and again, guys, I still don't like the money. I still don't like the ten million dollars <laughs> guarantee. However, he is the only wide receiver with some NFL playing experience of what we presume Bobby Slowick's offense will look like. Seeing as he was a member of that LA Ram team from 2017 when Sean McVay took over until 2021, um, and then he played for the uh, you know the Titans last year. Boo. Uh, but in that time span, he had two 1,000-yard receivers or, or seasons. Going into the 2022 season, Woods had been sent in a shift motion 863 times since 2018. That's 140 more than the next closest player, Travis Kelsey. Here's also some numbers that we should look at during that time span. He was first in uh, motion snaps with 863. Seventh in receptions off motions, 
third in carries off motions, first in total yards off motions, which was 1,100, sixth in touchdowns off motion. And as an added bonus, as I've mentioned several times before, uh, how this offense looks for blocking down the field from its receivers, you see the Rams motion. Uh, I want to call him Bobby Tree so bad right now. But you see <laughs> the Rams motion Robert Woods out and, and allow him to be the guy that can set the edge. And you see them running outside zone with Woods in motion. And so uh, getting him on that two-year deal, I think, also allows – him to be the security blanket during the growing pain era of a young quarterback in a new system. I do look at Robert Woods as an addition that the moment they knew they had D'Amico Ryans and Bobby Sloak and, you know, overpaid for him. But the moment they knew they had those guys, it was important for them to get their own security blankets. And when you look at Robert Woods, man, I can't help but to think to myself, the change of this offense there's times he had 50 carries on pre-snap motions. So, you know, getting him out of space is important. And he is still healthy. Didn't have the quarterback play that you wanted out of uh, Ryan Tannehill and them boys in Tennessee. Hmm. But he can still be an effective receiver. And I think with better quarterback play, I don't think he's going to replicate the days of playing with, uh, you know, J- Jerry Goff or Matthew Stafford a couple of seasons ago. But – Going into this season, if he were to – if somebody would to come out and say, hey, man, right now Robert Woods is the best receiver on this team, I would understand so why. Because he understands the playbook. He may understand the philosophy and what this team wants to get done offensively. The addition of him makes a lot of sense. Not money-wise, but play-wise, <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now new customers – Get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets. That's right. If your first bet doesn't win, $1,000 is going back to you in bonus bets. There's no better place to bet on all of the playoff action than America's number one sports book. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 back. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of the NBA. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this Thursday installment of Locked On Texans. And as promised, we have our guy, um, PFF's NFL analyst and co-host of the PFF NFL show, Mr. Sam Munson. Sam, what's going on, man? And welcome to Locked On Texans. Yeah, thanks for having me. How's it going? Doing well, doing well. I'm really excited about this because... This opportunity that we have on Locked On Texans today came at the perfect time because the Houston Texans, as you know, they started their OTA practices. So we had a, a small glimpse of what to expect from the Houston Texans in 2023. I know it's still early, but as I mentioned on yesterday's show, both Davis Mills and CJ Stroud look good. But Sam, I've been told you got some knowledge, some background on the Houston Texans' new offensive coordinator and Bobby Slowis. So let's jump right into it. And, of course, the number one question everyone would like to know, what can you share about Bobby and more so about his offensive philosophies? 
Yeah, well, Bobby Slowick was uh, a former PFF analyst. Um, he was a, mm -hmm. a senior analyst along with me, along with Steve Palazzolo, uh, Ben Stockwell, some of the other guys over here at PFF. And he's one of the smartest football minds that I think any of us have ever come across. And what's fascinating is that when he was at PFF, he had he'd been in the NFL previously um, in, in Washington with the Shanahan's, and he was mm -hmm. a defensive minded guy you know he'd worked with linebackers and sort of his focus or what we knew him best for was being able to read defenses identify coverages you know understand how those mechanisms on the back end worked and, and where the breakdowns were and, and sort of how to attack that and then obviously since going back into the nfl with with kyle shanahan and, and in san francisco he's he's transitioned he's gone to the other side of the ball and we've always sort of talked about this a little bit of pff that oftentimes it's the opposite side of the ball that kind of best knows how to attack you know certain areas so offensive minded guys um understand how to attack defenses and defensive minded guys understand sort of where to be exploited from the offensive point of view mm -hmm. so it's it's going to be an interesting um kind of experiment almost to see how that works but Bobby's a great football mind, a really great guy, understands football, um, really excited for him to get this kind of opportunity and, you know, connected with D'Amico Ryans. I think the Texans have added obviously a couple of outstanding coaches that have come from a system that on either side of the ball in San Francisco has been cooking over the last few years. Mm -hmm. And really quick, you know, from the relationship you was able to establish with Bobby, what can you share about the transition? Because I remember when we first had an opportunity to talk to him um, when he was introduced as the new offensive coordinator, he mentioned that as well. And I find that very ironic because normally it's the coach slash player that's going over to the media side. But Bobby, you know, it's kind of like he did it in a reverse way. <laughs> Right. And, and it's, you know, he's, he's one of the great PFF success stories. We've had a couple of guys that have been senior analysts, you know, part of the grading process of PFF who have, who are in the NFL. Now, Bobby is one of them. Zach Robinson, uh, mm. Rams quarterback coach was a former senior analyst as well. So, um, you know, and he wasn't, he wasn't a big part of any of our media stuff. Like he's, he would been on our podcast a few times just as, as part of what he did at PFF, but he was really a, a behind the scenes guy working on the data, the grading, the, the nuts and bolts of getting plays correct on the grading side and the, the data side of PFF. And but it's still a far cry from, um, you know, NFL coaching. That's a different lens through which to view the league that I think a lot of other coaches don't have. There would have been a period of a couple of years where. Bobby watched as much tape as any human on the planet in terms of what every single team in the NFL was doing from a coverage standpoint, uh, how successful it was, you know, when not to run fire zone, all these kinds of things. And these are these are sort of lessons that only Bobby, only Bobby, only Zach, you know, guys that just spent that long in tape would have, you know, everyone else might mm -hmm. understand principles or have reasonable ideas of trends but those guys watched it through just sheer volume of plays that they went through on a weekly basis hmm. now you mentioned that he and coach D'Amico Ryan did some really good things in San Francisco um Sam the next biggest question that's on everybody's mind is how much do you expect Bobby to 
implement the lessons and some of the offensive schemes that we are used to in San Francisco kind of, you know, carry that over here to the city of Houston. I mean, I'm sure he'll find his own wrinkles and things that he wants to add or change or whatever. But broadly speaking, this Shanahan system works. You know, it Mm -hmm. is a cheat code for offense and it's been a cheat code for him every step he's been. It's it obviously worked incredibly well when Mike McDaniel brought his version over to Miami last season. You know, (laughs) I would imagine Bobby is acutely aware that you don't want to tinker with that too much. You know, this is a thing (laughs) that works pretty well. I don't know how much extra I want to add or how much I want to change the system that I know already dominates the NFL. So I would imagine that Bobby is is going to try and run, you know, the Shanahan system to its fullest and, and essentially just make life as easy as possible for his, his new quarterback, C.J. Stroud. Hmm. And uh, speaking of his new quarterback, C.J. Stroud, um, how much do you believe in Bobby Slowey's ability to work with young quarterbacks? Because I was told um, during his time in San Francisco when he was the passing game coordinator, um, there's people gave him a lot of credit for the success that we saw Brock Purdy had once he took over for um, Jimmy G, once Jimmy G went down with the injury. Yeah, I mean, from our experience in PFF, I think Bobby's an excellent teacher. So I don't imagine that would be any different when he was communicating with quarterbacks and and trying to bring those guys along. Um, and I think he's going to be aware of, you know, how this Shanahan system can help those guys as well instead of mm-hmm. tapping into their strengths and, and trying to make, again, trying to make life as easy as possible for those guys and not ask them to do things that they struggle with i think that's probably an element that he will do well is you know understanding where the limitations are and where he can make their life easier Mm. i like how you put emphasis on bobby being a teacher because i think you know with him being an offensive coordinator even even for coach D'Amico ryan's and for a lot of these guys on the staff i think that's very important or the one of the most important attributes for a coach because this team is still fairly young especially when you have a young prospect like cj Stroud, who we are expecting to be this team's new franchise quarterback but it's still that learning process that they have to go through i, I really do like that you place the emphasis on that yeah, I mean, that's what a lot of coaching is, right? It's just communication. Mm-hmm. It's it's being able to get your ideas across and being able to explain things to people in a way that they understand. And, you know, Bobby, as I said, he's one of the smartest football minds that any of us at PFF have ever talked to. And he mm-hmm. taught all of us a large amount of his football knowledge while he was here. Welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen, to this Thursday installment of Locked On Texans. Of course, I got my guy, Mr. Sam Monson. Sam, in the first segment, we talked a lot about Bobby Slow and what he can do for the Houston Texans, but more so the Houston Texans' new rookie quarterback, C.J. Stroud, who has a lot of Texans fans in the city of Houston excited. I'm pretty sure you already know without even stepping foot in the city yet. But with all that being said, um, Sam, throughout the whole entire draft process, what can you actually share about some of the analysis you have been able to gather about C.J. Stroud? Yeah, I was always a little bit lower on C.J. Stroud than most people out there. Um, Mm. I I think – there's the reasons to like him are obvious. You know, everyone will, mm-hmm. will tell you how accurate he is, how um, you know, able to deliver the football to where it needs to go. He is. He might be the best in the draft class at just dropping back, finding a target, hitting him in stride. Those are all important things. Um, mm-hmm. His play under pressure and when things broke down a little bit, or he was forced beyond that 
process of drop back, first target, throw the ball, was not as good as some of these other guys and certainly not as good as other quarterbacks over the past several years where you have that kind of data set. Last season, his PFF grade under pressure, I think, was the 18th percentile, something like that. And then you have the confounding factor of all of that went away in the Georgia game, right? The the, the (laughs) toughest competition he faced in the biggest stage. He had his best game where all of that wasn't a factor, where he was amazing under pressure and he was amazing when the play broke down. And like if all you saw was that, you would say this is the number one overall pick in the draft by a distance. Mm. Um, But there's more, obviously, to his college career than that, that one game. And most of the time that the stuff that was a strength in that game was a negative for him. Um, so my concern is a little bit when you get to the NFL and you're going to have more of those plays, you're going to be under pressure more. You're going to be asked to work through a progression more and, and ad lib more when the offensive system or the, the play itself doesn't necessarily give you number one wide open every single time. How does he fare in those situations? Now, where, what I really like is he's gone to the Texans with Bobby Slowick, who that Shanahan offense, that's what it does best, right? Is get number mm-hmm. one open as often as humanly possible. And like, that's, that's the hallmark of that offense is it's able to give these guys so many open primary reads that if they can just deliver the ball where it needs to go accurately, every single play, that's going to take you a very long way. And maybe some days you're going to run into a defense that can take that away and force you to the stuff that you're not as good at. But as a first step, I think that's a great match of system, coach, and quarterback. Um, and the stuff that he does well, you know, it, it shouldn't be understated. Like, those are real strengths that should take him a pretty long way. Mm. Two-part question here. One, given your analysis um, going into the draft on CJ, where did you have him on your quarterback draft board? Of course, I take it you had him behind Bryce Young, but where did you have him in terms of comparing him to Will Levis, Anthony Richardson, or Henry Hooker, if you want to throw him into the mix? And um, my second part of the question is going to be, um, with OTA starting up, everybody, some people was a little bit surprised that Davis Mills was taking first team reps. I know it's still early and a lot can change between now and week one of the 2023 campaign. However, with that being said, with some of the concerns that you have about CJ, do you think he can actually benefit from at least starting next season on the bench and learning from afar? Yeah, I had him as number four, um, but to me it was Bryce Young number one, and then the next guys all had a flaw of some description and a strength Mm -hmm. of some description, and it was really a case of like, pick your flavor, right? Do you want the the risk of C.J. Stroud and the stuff we just talked about, play under pressure, play once the play breaks down? Do you want the risk of Anthony Richardson, who hasn't even been a particularly good college quarterback yet, but as the most incredible athletic profile we've ever seen. And we think the ceiling is so high and all these kinds Mm -hmm. of things or the flaw of Will Levis, who last season was bad, Um, you know, took a huge step backwards and hasn't necessarily, you know, set the world on fire for a guy with his physical tools and all those kinds of things. So, to me, I, th- I saw enough of Will Levis in 2021, you know, in a real offensive NFL offensive system with a real offensive uh, mind, Will, uh, Liam Cohn at, at Kentucky, um, that I would project him forward in a good light. And then Richardson, I- I'm buying into the sort of athletic profile, particularly in an offense like the one he's going to with mm-hmm. Shane Steichen in Indianapolis. And 
I think those three were very close, but the stuff I saw from Stroud on the negative side just scared me enough to rank him as fourth. But I think he's clearly better or a more of a sure thing than a guy like Hendon Hooker or any other quarterback in this draft after those top four guys. As for whether he needs to start, you know, as a as number two, I, I don't think so. I, I think teams just default to this idea of, you know, you don't get given the job in the NFL. Yeah. All of these guys are going to start off as number two with maybe with the exception of Richardson, just because there's nobody else there. But, you know, Bryce Young is already starting number two behind Andy Dalton. And, and mm-hmm. you know, who, who knows how long they'll kind of persist with that charade. Um, I would imagine, you know, at some point in training camp, Stroud will jump Davis Mills on the depth chart, but they'll still all start off as the number two guy. And, you know, there'll be a sort of a pageant of you know earning that number one job and, and not just being handed it uh with with that draft pick but i don't think you know even the stuff that scares me i don't think it's the it's a reason to keep him off the field right away it's just potentially a flaw in his game that you're going to need to scheme around or see if you can improve mm. of course they took cj Stroud with the number two overall pick wasn't too much of a surprise, but everyone was was a surprise to see the Houston Texans trade out with the Arizona Cardinals for that number three pick and go ahead and select Will Anderson Jr. Um, Sam, what are your thoughts about the trade? And of course, same question to CJ. What were some of your pre-draft projections when you was doing your analysis on him? Yeah, I think you have to separate the, the it into two conversations, right? Will Anderson, mm-hmm. the player, and then the trade itself. And Anderson, the player, I think is fantastic. Arguably the best defensive player in the draft, maybe the cleanest prospect in the entire draft when you factor in Jalen Carter's you know, legal issues and, yeah. and all that. Anderson has no off-field concerns. His tape has been really, really good start to finish. He's been dominant in pretty much all areas. He's going to be, I think, a very good NFL player and should have been one of the top you know, few players selected in this draft. So I think they've added a really talented player. And, and from that point of view, if they had the number three overall pick already, it would be a great move. Um, but when you look at what it costs them to, to, to make it happen, it's very difficult to come to the conclusion that that wasn't just a bad move in terms of process. Like, there's almost no way that Anderson can justify the cost or the, the picks given up to make that move happen. He would have to be the best edge rusher of his generation effectively. And all the other picks would have to be misses for that to make any kind of sense. It really felt like they just got fixated on this guy as the player and couldn't walk away, you know, like couldn't leave the checkout without getting both the quarterback and their, their coveted edge rusher. Whereas the, the process, like the data, the, the, the range of outcomes, the probability is all dictate that, you know, with that, with that either or scenario, you just have to suck it up, except that you can't have both of them and, you know, rely on your own ability to select the best player in the draft in, in next year when you have your first round pick and you're picking up the top, you know, somewhere in the, the top few picks again, by mo- in, in all likelihood, you know, if you look at win projections, Vegas odds, all those kinds of things. So I think they just... They just got a little greedy and just couldn't leave Will Anderson <laughs> on the table. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Of course, Will Anderson Jr. and CJ Stroud was basically the headliners for the Houston Texans. But what are your thoughts about the rest of the Houston Texans draft class? But mainly, who else do you think can basically step up and help the Houston Texans for not just this upcoming season, but kind of become one of the foundational pieces that they got moving forward? 
I love Tank Dell um, in, wow. in a draft. <laughs> In a draft that was, uh, you know, very, there was tons of these physical outliers, whether it's giant guys, small guys, thin guys, you know, huge Dewan Jones type 400 pound offensive tackles. Like there were weird physical outliers all over this draft. And if Tank Dell weighed 185 pounds, I think mm -hmm. he'd have been a first round receiver. But at 165, it's small enough that you're like, like it's risky. <laughs> There's just no way around that. There are not too many guys at that size that succeed at the NFL level, but his tape is incredible. He's got the quicks, the footwork to win on the outside, to win across the board. He, his senior bowl tape was just him embarrassing cornerbacks one-on-one -on -one all the way through the week during those drills. He's really good at a few things. I think that are important to be good at if you're going to be 165 pounds and mm -hmm. basically outweighed and outmuscled um, physically. Anytime you go up against any kind of NFL defensive back, he's really good at separating late in the play with the ball in the air. Those kind of subtle push offs that some really elite receivers have. I would expect Tank Dell to be able to contribute really quickly and, and mm. have a successful role within this offense. Mm, I know a lot of Houston fans going to be happy to hear that. <laughs> Sam, um, last question before getting out of here. I know it's still early. OTA just started, but from what you can tell from the coachings that, that, that the Houston Texans added, Coach D'Amico Ryans, Bobby Slowick, the 2023 draft class they was able to have, 2022 draft class was pretty good. Those guys going into the second season, and, of course, you have some veterans who can still be productive. Given what you know about the Houston Texans, your analysis and everything else, how much better do you think the Texans are going to be? Now, I want to warn you, this is an organization over the last three years <laughs> Has, has, has only won 11 games. And of course, last year, they won three. <laughs> right. I, I Look, I, I think it may still take a little time, but mm -hmm. I think they're definitely headed on the right path. I mean, I, I obviously, we love Bobby Slowick, but I, I love that coaching ticket that they brought in with D'Amico Ryans and Bobby on, on either mm -hmm. side of the ball. Um, CJ Stroud, if he's the guy, if he can thrive within this offense and the stuff that scares me is not a big factor, um, and they're able to either hide those aspects of his play or they're simply not going to be a factor. We're going to get the Georgia version of CJ Stroud going forward. <laughs> oh man! I mean, that that propels this team to a totally different plane of existence than they've had over mm -hmm. the last couple of years. Um, I, I still think some of the personnel decisions they've made between free agency and the draft have been a little bit questionable or a little bit difficult to discern a pattern or a real sort of uh, idea of what it is they're trying to do. But I think there's way more talent on this team right now and the coaching should be a significant upgrade. So I think they should be a much better team next year. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Love to hear it. Sam Mason, PFF NFL analyst and co-host of the PFL NFL show. Sam, really quick, where can our listeners follow you at on all your social media platforms? Yeah, PFF NFL podcast, anywhere you get your podcasts. And we have the, the YouTube channel as well. So you can search us and find all of our stuff pretty easily. And as always, I'm your host, Cody M. Davis. Please remember to follow me on Twitter at Cody Davis underscore 24. Once again, that's Cody, C-O-T-Y, D-A-V-I-S underscore 24. And be sure to check out or follow my co-host, John Hickman, on Twitter. And be sure to follow Locked On Texans on all your favorite podcast streaming services and, of course, on YouTube. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, peace.